بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد ونسلی اللہ رسول الکریم اما بات الحمد للہ جنائٹ از دا تھرٹیتھ آف نومبر ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی ٹو اینڈ ٹو اسپینڈ ون لاسٹ سیشن So there's a report and it mentions that in the Psalms, i.e. the revelation given to Dawood it mentions that Allah the Almighty and Glorious, He says, Who wrongs me more than the one who serves me for the sake of paradise or hell? Think, if I had not created paradise or hell, would I not be more worthy of obedience? Subhanallah. So this is recorded by Sheikh Abu Talib Makki in his Qut al-Qulub 2-56, Imam Ghazali rahmatullahi in his Ihya in the chapter on love, longing, intimacy and contentment, chapter 3, page 37 of the English translation. So here in the previous divine revelation, Allah the Almighty and Glorious is asking two questions. And he's highlighting that the one who serves him for the sake of paradise or to protect himself from the hellfire, he goes, he has wronged me. And then he goes on to say, subhanahu wa ta'ala, if I had not created paradise or hell, would I not be more worthy of obedience? So think about that. So if a person is worshipping, and his worship is just out of longing for paradise, or to secure himself from the hellfire, the worship is fine. But it's of a poor quality. Why? Because Allah Ta'ala says, if there was no paradise or hell, does that mean you wouldn't worship me? And the response to that is, the fact that things are fard, proves that we have this problem within us. In another report it mentions, that Isa a.s. He once passed by a group of worshippers, and they were emaciated. They said upon seeing him, we are afraid of hell and we hope for paradise. Isa said, Subhanallah, you fear something created and you also hope for something created. He then passed by another group and they said, we worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of love to exalt him because of his majesty. Isa responded, Truly you are the friends of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is with you that I have been commanded to travel. So this is recorded by Shaykh Abu Talib Makki in his Qut al-Qulub 2-56, Imam Ghazali in his Ihya in the chapter on love, longing, intimacy and contentment, chapter 3, page 37 of the English translation. So the same principle. So Isa alayhi salatu wasalam, he sees some people and they looked like they was worshipping to such a degree that it affected their body. But when he questioned them, they said, we are afraid of hell, we hope for paradise. So again, the worship is fine. But what was Isa alayhi response? And who could argue with this? You fear something created, you hope for something created. Paradise is a creation. Hell is a creation. Then he passed by others and they said, we are worshipping out of love for him. Then he praised them. He goes, it is with you I have been commanded to travel. 
And similarly, Abu Hazim, Rahmatullahi, a tabi'in, he said, I am ashamed to serve Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the sake of reward or punishment. For then I would be like a bad servant who does not act if he does not fear. Or like a bad worker who does nothing when he is not paid. <laughs> Subhanallah. Again, the same references, Sheikh Abu Talib Makki in his Qut al 2-56, Imam Ghazali in his Ihya. So what did this famous Tabi'een Abu Hazim say, Rahmatullahi? He said, if I did something for the sake of fear, I punishment, then I am like a bad servant. Why? Because the bad servant only works because he fears. <laughs> and he goes, and if I did something because I wanted to be paid, he goes, this is also a bad work. <laughs> Why? Because he's after his wage. <laughs> Indeed, in a divine tradition, the Almighty and Glorious Himself says, subhanahu wa ta'ala, let no one of you be like a bad worker who does not work when he is paid his wage. Nor like a bad servant who does nothing if he is not made afraid. This is recorded in Abu Na'im al-Hiliya 3-242. Sheikh Abu Talib Makki in his Qut al-Qulub 2-56. Imam Ghazali rahmatullahi in his Ihya. So note again all of these reports are indicating the same thing. And this is why Allah Ta'ala has allowed it. So if you worship for reward, if it wasn't allowed, the Prophet would not mention rewards. Sallallahu alayhi wa and if he wasn't allowed to worship due to fear, then the Prophet would not have mentioned the fear of hell if he commits certain sins. But the purpose of that is for you to develop, to get stronger. And then to realize that these are just creations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We should be doing it only for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It was on this theme that Abu Sulaiman al-Darani rahmatullahi said, He who is occupied with himself today, will then also be occupied with himself tomorrow. But he who is occupied with his Lord today will also be occupied with his Lord tomorrow. Subhanallah. Shaykh Abu Talib Makki in his Qut al-Qulub 2-57, Imam Ghazali in his Ihya. So what was Abu Sulaiman al-Darani saying? The same thing. If you're doing something only for yourself, i.e. for wages or for fear, then you will be fearing for yourself also in the future. <laughs> But if you're doing something for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala solely for him, then tomorrow you'll only be concerned about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <laughs> Indeed, the awliya, rahimahumullah, focus on nothing but their exalted Lord and purify themselves so much that they begin to say and do things which many would consider blasphemous. So if you purify something so much, for example, one of the scholars mentioned, we're like coals. But if you get a diamond, a diamond is a coal. But it's the most purified form of the coal. And yet, look at the difference between the value of the two. One is worthless or worth very little. The diamond is priceless. The oliyas have purified themselves so much that they say and do things which you would consider even to be unbelief. So for instance, give an example. There was a renowned companion in the time of Musa والسلام, his name was Sayyidina Burkh al-Aswad So this relation is recorded by Sheikh Abu Talib Makki in his Qut al-Qulub 2-54, 3-79 Imam Ghazali in his Ihya in the chapter on love, longing, intimacy and contentment chapter 13, page 138-9 of the English translation Allah the Almighty and Glorious 
he commanded Musa والسلام, to ask him to pray for rain for the Bani Israel after they had suffered a seven year drought. So Musa والسلام, went out, he made dua for rain, and there were 70,000 people with him. So stop in the report. So there's no rain seven years. So Allah tells his beloved messenger, get the people together, make a dua. And 70,000 people are behind him. However, Allah the Almighty and Glorious revealed to Musa How shall I answer their du'as when their sins are dark upon them and their inmost hearts are wicked? When they call out to me without any certainty and they feel secure against my ruse, those go to my servant Burkh and inform him that he should go out so that I may hear his supplication. So firstly, he got all his people together. And of course, there was the fish and the fowl. So Allah told him that there's people who are behind you, their hearts are wicked. And they haven't got certainty and they even feel secure in their sins. Then the command now was, go to Burkh. So who's telling Musa Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because go to Burkh, inform him, go out, I want to hear his dua. Thus Musa didn't know who Burkh was. He inquired about Burkh. And he asked the various people but he could not locate his whereabouts. So what's interesting? Just like he was told to find Khidr. And he traveled extensively. He was tired and eventually he found him. The same thing seems to have happened here. He doesn't know where Burkh is. He's asking people. Then one day, when Musa was traversing a path, he came across a black servant with dust between his eyes from prostration. And he was wearing a cloak which he had knotted around his neck. Through Allah the Almighty's light, Musa recognized him. So he suddenly came in face to face with Burk. And he was uh, from the you know, Abyssinian, you know, Abyssinian features. And he was wearing a very you know, inferior cloak around his uh, neck. After greeting him, Musa asked, what is your name? He answered, my name is Burkh. Musa said, we have been searching for you for a long time. So please go out, make dua for rain to fall upon us. So Burkh, he went out and he made the following supplication. What is this that you are doing? Is this what you call mildness? What are you thinking? Are you short on springs of water? Or have the winds resisted obeying you? Are your surplus exhausted? Or has your wrath against sinners grown so fierce? Were you not already a pardoner before sinners were even created? You created compassion and commanded kindness. Will you show us that you are doing the opposite? Are you afraid of some evasion that you hurry to punish? So imagine Musa he hears this, his face goes pale. 
Burkh then spoke without pause until the Israelis were suddenly drenched with rain. Indeed, in a half a day, Allah the Almighty made the grass grow until it reached to the knees. Then Burkh returned another day and Musa met up with him. Burkh thereupon said, What do you think? I contended with my Lord and he treated me fairly. Musa became irritated with Burkh, but Allah the Almighty revealed to him, O Musa, Burkh makes me laugh three times a day. <laughs> Burkh makes me laugh three times. In other words, why are you getting irritated? Because he's making me laugh. So now, what on earth is happening here? So let's just look very briefly. At, this was his dua. Imagine if somebody goes make a dua for then you start saying this. Like we say in today's age, were you playing at? Astaghfirullah. He goes, where's the mildness in this? Because what, what are you thinking? He goes, have your treasures run out? He goes, are you, are you so angry now against the sinners? Even though you created them and you knew that they were going to sin. He goes, you created compassion, you ordered compassion. And yet you're not doing it yourself. So, it looks like a kufr of the highest degree. He's hardly finished, it starts raining. So, Musa obviously realized that you know he's a special servant. But then when he met him another day, Burkh said something else which irritated Musa He goes, what do you think? He goes, I contended with my Lord and he treated me fairly. So obviously he got angry, but then Allah goes, leave him. He makes me laugh three times a day. So now, what's the commentary? Imam Ghazali in his Ihya in the chapter on love, longing, intimacy and contentment, chapter 13, page 140 of the English translation, he said, such occurrences are common amongst those granted intimacy with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Others should not mimic them. <laughs> so Imam Ghazali said, this is common amongst the elite and you should not copy them. Then he said, Imam Junaid had said, Rahmatullah those admitted to God's intimacy in their affection, prayer and seclusion, they say things which would be unbelief in the mouths of common folk. So Imam Junaid was also a, a, you know, a saintly soul. He goes, they will say things. If you say, you're kafir. Then he said, another time, if ordinary people were to hear these things, they would accuse them of unbelief. And yet the awliya discover an enhancement of their states in this. Thus indeed from intimates of Allah, this is allowable and quite proper. So now somebody goes, well, I'm going to do it. You don't dare do that, right? If you do it, he did it. Who are you? Now, what is going on? What is going on is they have a very, very close connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they're not saying it with any malice. They're saying it really with love. So if you look at what he was saying to the masses, it looks like he's telling he's telling Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala off. But if you really look at his state, he's not telling Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Of course he's not. He's saying of love as if to say, Ya Allah, you're the most merciful of those who show mercy. Show the mercy. But he's saying it in a way to provoke Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And Imam Ghazali said the key point, you should not mimic this, but this is something you should reflect on. And also note how many times the takfir is done on the awliya. You know, we hear it all the time. Oh, Imam Ghazali, is kafir. He goes, yeah, if you look into one of his works and look what he said there, and the clear statement of kufr. And he goes, well, he's hujjat al-Islam, how is he a kafir? He goes, no, no, then he mentioned another scholar. He goes, he's kafir. Well, he's an awliya. He goes, no, but he says, God's under his foot. And then you go into this, he goes, okay, where does, and he does say that. He goes, your God is under my foot. But if you look at the clarification, he was talking to people who were worshipping money. They goes, who is your God? He goes, I know my Lord, but your Lord is under my foot. And then what happened? They executed the Oliya, killed him. He goes, Kufr. But then the student said, where did he say it? And when they took that place, there was gold. So they killed an Oliya, imagine. He could have said to them, because you worship money. But the statements they were making, people don't understand. And that's why you should not read their books. A lot of people are very fond of reading Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jalani's books and Mulana Rumi's books. Yeah, they're very brave. You're very, very knowledgeable. <laughs> you need a sheikh to sit with you and explain these statements. So imagine if I just narrated that report, you'd think, where did you get that from? Go from Imam Ghazali. Well, he's kafir anyway. Then you go in there, you know, subhanAllah, you call him Goliath kafir. What is happening? Their worship is purely for his sake. They're not worshipping for paradise. <laughs> They're not worshipping for fear of hell. They're worshipping out of love. Do you do that? No, then you're not like them. But that doesn't mean that you're not a Muslim. It means that your worship is not of a quality like theirs. And that's why Allah the Almighty and Glorious mentions again and again. I created death and life to see which one of you does the most beautiful deeds. Ahsanu amala. So if you're worshipping due to a wage, is that a beautiful worship? And that's why, notice, if you look at the people who were forgiven for apparently small deeds, they weren't small deeds. Those deeds were for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another glaring quality of the blessed souls is their contentment over the decree. Imam Ghazali in his Ihya in the chapter on love, longing, intimacy and contentment, chapter 11, page 109 of the English translation. Bawaiti, rahmatullah once said to an ascetic, do you love death? <coughs> So a saintly soul said to a, a, a Zahid, do you love death? He was wavering. He didn't know what to say. Then he finally said, if I was a true believer, I would love it. He then recited the following verse. Surah Al-Baqarah, Surah 2, verse 94. Wish for death if you are Siddiq. He went on to say, Rasulullah said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, let no one wish for death. In Sayyid Bukhari. And he explained, he Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that in the case a misfortune befalls one. Since contentment with Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala's decree is far more virtuous than seeking to escape from it. So I've quoted the statement. Be honest, you understand what they're talking about. So I'm with it, and then all of a sudden, it's like a car. You go into the next gear, what are they talking about now? So what did he first question was straightforward, do you love death? So he didn't know what to say. Finally, he said, if I was a true believer, I would love it. What's the proof? If I was a true believer, I would love it. Proof is the Quran. Wish for death if you are truthful. 
And what's the word Allah Ta'ala used for the truthful? Sadiqi. So he goes, if you're a true believer, you would love death. But then he quotes a hadith. And the hadith doesn't contradict the Quran, but apparently it does. The Prophet said, no one should wish for death. Then he got to the crunch. The Prophet said this in case a misfortune hits you. Since contentment with the decree of Allah is far more virtuous than seeking to escape from it. Putting it simply, the prophetic narration is referring to those with weak iman. As the Shaykh explained, contentment with God's decree is far more virtuous than seeking to escape from it. How many times have you heard the hadith? I've heard it loads of times. The Prophet said, let no one wish for death. What does he mean, brother? And they make it universal. He goes, none of you should wish for death. And then you say, so it's a universal statement of the Prophet. Yeah, wrong. <laughs> you've quoted correctly, but you've given an incorrect meaning to the statement of the Prophet. He goes, what does it mean? That is for those with weaker Iman. Why? Because we need that. But those who are strong, they are happy with the decree of the tribulations. Therefore, it is far more virtuous than seeking to escape from it. And this is what the Shaykh told, the uh, the, uh, the ascetic told the Shaykh, subhanAllah. But note again, Allah Ta'ala has allowed both. This is his kindness. But you should strive to get higher. And look at the prophets. They were the best of examples. Every time the Prophet went through a tribulation, he wanted to keep going through it. And what stopped him? The Sahaba. Please, Ya Rasulullah, make dua. He goes, do you want me to make dua? Yes, he made dua. Please, Ya Rasulullah, get the food, make a dua. Do you want me to do that? Yes, make a dua. Why wasn't the Prophet doing it himself? He's content. He's strongest worshipper. But for us, he did it. And that is Nabuwat and Sahaba. So where do we fit into it? So no, there's no contradiction between the Quran and the Hadith. The Quran says, wish for death if you are truthful. The Prophet said, let no one wish for death. There's an apparent contradiction, but there's no contradiction. And the Shaykh explained it. To conclude, a question arises. Can a sinner love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? In Imam Ghazali, in his Ihya, in the chapter on love, longing, intimacy and contentment, chapter 9, page 112 to 113 of the English translation, he answered this question, Imam Ghazali, he said, It is contrary to love's perfection, but not to its basis. So he gave the answer first. It is contrary to love's perfection, but not to its basis. So what does that mean? He explained. For instance, there is many a man who loves himself, loves health, but when ill, still eats harmful things, even though he knows they will harm him. Isn't that true? This does not indicate lack of love for himself. Rather, his knowledge is enfeebled whilst his appetite is overpowering. He is powerless to give what he truly loves its due. This is why it's called Hujjat al-Islam. You, you always get this impression that he's going so low for us, so we understand what he's saying. That's a, that's a proper scholar. A proper scholar doesn't go into his ivory tower and go, what are these guys talking about? 
So Imam Ghazali is in the heavens and he's not forgotten. So he goes, right, I need to bring it down to your level. But he's not mocking us because we don't understand. So he explains, he goes, don't you love yourself? Of course you love yourself. <laughs> don't you love your health? Yes. Then why do you eat harmful things? Why do you have chocolate? Why do you... Because you confuse me, right? Because you love your health, but you're doing things which is contrary to that. How did he explain? This does not indicate lack of love, but his knowledge is weak. His appetite is overpowering. He is powerless to give what he truly loves. It's due. <laughs> then he said, he quoted a hadith, I'll summarize in Sahih Bukhari, the companion who would drink uh, khamr, he would then be purified. Finally, the companions cursed him. The Prophet said, do not curse him, for he loves Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger. Imam Ghazali said, note, he وسلم, did not exclude the companion from love because of his sin. Though to be sure, sin did exclude him from perfect love. Did the Prophet وسلم, say when the Sahaba was committing that major sin, that proves he doesn't love Allah Ta'ala. He didn't say that. He goes, he loves. The Prophet clearly said that. He goes, don't curse, he loves. Imam Ghazali said, he has love. But it's not a perfect love because of the sin. <laughs> then he quotes a, a Gnostic, When Iman is in the outside of the heart, then man loves Allah Ta'ala with a middling love. But when Iman penetrates the heart's dark interior, he loves him with an overwhelming love and he abandons sins. <laughs> so Imam Ghazali says, Therefore, his statement, it is contrary to love's perfection, but not to its basis. Now, this actually exposes the belief of the Hawaii. They won't believe because they say when you commit a sin, you're kafir, major sin. So, look what Imam Ghazali is telling you. He's explaining this is impossible, right? Even if you're committing major sins, you love Allah and His messenger. But of course, you have to work on it. Your iman is middling. It's not really deep in your heart. When it penetrates deep into the heart, you will abandon sins. So all I mentioned today was our relationship with the Almighty and Glorious Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And it should be one, of course, of love. But, Alhamdulillah, Allah has catered for weaker Muslims if they're doing it for wage and fear. But we should strive to get past that stage. And then I mentioned the amazing report with regards to Sayyidina Burkh al-Aswad radiyallahu. And notice Musa wasalam, he met many of these characters and he was one of them. But don't start imitating him otherwise uh, you might end up in a synagogue. Are there any questions you would ask?